your horse training questions answered. Answered. Welcome to the Carson James Podcast, your weekly boost of horsemanship. No jargon, no fluff, and no BS. Just natural, proven solutions that work. And now, here's Carson James. Hey, I'm Carson James, and today we're going to be debunking some of the most common horsey myths that are circulating in the horsey industry right now and, oh, probably the last 10 or 15 years. So, number one is that heavy hands make heavy horses and light hands make light horses. This is completely and utterly kind of sort of only true sometimes. So, just imagine if you're... If you're walking along on your horse and you pick up the reins and with the lightest touch you can manage, you ask him to come to a stop. And then he keeps walking and he keeps walking and he keeps walking. And the rider is afraid of being heavy handed. So they just maintain it right there, that little one ounce. And then at this point, he's walked 30 feet. Well, because of that lack of clarity, he's going to start trying to do things to make that pressure go away. Then maybe he'll throw his head to try to make it go away. And because the rider is afraid to ever be anything but light-handed, right when he does that, he'll rip the reins out of their hands or they'll, their arms will give. He'll feel instant release. So instead of learning to stop, he just learns to throw his head. Now, on the other scenario, if you're walking along and you pick up your reins very lightly and you give him, you know, three or four seconds, and then if he is not at least trying to start gearing down and thinking about stopping, you go ahead and you pull with, say, six or seven pounds of pressure and you be clear with him and show him what it is that you meant when you gave that very light cue. Or another word of saying it is give him a reason to respond lightly the next time. We're trying to teach these horses to get it done before we have a chance to get heavy. So likewise, somebody that's always heavy handed, if you're being heavy when the horse is kind of coming through or starting to do what it is you had in mind, well, if you're being heavy-handed during that moment, as the horse is trying to do what it is you wanted, you're not making it feel good to him. So he says, for example, oh, well, when I took a step back, I just got pulled on more or the same amount. There was no release. Well, you're not giving that horse any reason to take another step back, and you're also not letting him know that he did the right thing. That's generally how rearing begins is something like that. It's a good example of it. So see, people that are afraid of being heavy-handed are not able to give a clear difference to that horse of which one is the easy thing to do and which one is the not quite as easy thing to do. Being light-handed does not make a light horse or a heavy horse, and being heavy-handed does not make a heavy horse or a light horse. It's all about the timing and being able to have your hands work the sliding scale every second you're on a horse until he gets more sure about things and is more consistently light. It's about being able to time when you start swinging down to lightness and when you start swinging up to heaviness. Probably the most common myth in the horse world is that heavy hands create heavy horses. 
uh, always remember, it's not being light that makes them light, and it's not being heavy that makes them light. It's being able to time and swing in to the two ends of that spectrum, depending on the level your horse is at, the level of his understanding. You know, there's some factors that go into it, but that's the most common problem that I see people have with their horses today. All right, myth number two is that horses need tons of desensitizing to be safe. Now, this may be even more common than number one, but uh, there are, we did a poll one time and we asked a whole bunch of horsey owners. We said, hey, um, out of this group, the ones of you that have done, you know, hours of desensitizing, do you feel like that investment of your time and effort paid off? Do you feel like that truly made your horse more calm, more uh, rideable, easier to ride? And about 90% of them came back and said, no, not at all. Now, the reason for that is, is because, let's say a horse is afraid of tarp. Okay, but horse is also inwardly lacking confidence, uh, does not know what's expected of him. He does not know how to handle the pressure that he's feeling, whether it be trailer loading, backing up, loping, trotting, side passing, stopping, any of it. You can get a horse that, let's say this horse is really scared about people being up above uh, up above his back or being ridden. You can get that horse well, where he will cross tarps, he will cross poles. You can desensitize him to the noodle thing. You can pop balloons and crack whips and shoot guns and anything you can think of. But until you spend some time getting up above that horse's back on a fence or something like that and get him used to a human being up there, all of those things are not really going to help that much. Okay, now the other, the other thing you need to think about when it comes to desensitizing a horse, desensitizing gets them used to objects that they're not real sure about. That's all desensitizing does. People have got it really, really mixed up thinking that desensitizing is what builds inward confidence in the horse. Now, desensitizing is a good thing to do, and it is good to do it. So that's not what we're saying here. Well, what I'm saying is, is just because I'm not afraid of pretend snakes and snakes in the zoo and pictures of snakes and snakes on TV does not mean that if I'm walking down through the woods and I see a snake over here, I'm not going to scream like a little girl and spook and jump sideways, and I will probably bolt back to the truck. That's how scared I am of snakes. Now, no amount of showing me pictures of snakes would change that. Really, the only thing that would change that is if I became such a confident person to where I felt in or to where I felt invulnerable to the snakes, and it, I'm just as afraid of ones that aren't poisonous. Just for clarity of the conversation here. Uh, now, if I became invulnerable and was so confident and just bursting at the seams like I'm unstoppable I'm not afraid of anything that inward confidence would really really help me not jump sideways and bolt back to the truck uh, now it is true yes if I started handling snakes every day and became a reptilian zoologist or something yes I would eventually lose my fear of snakes but what, what people need to understand is desensitizing will not 
make a horse inwardly confident and mentally sound. The things that do make a horse mentally sound and confident, which is really how you fix spookiness, bucking, bolting, buddy sour, all that stuff. The reason they do all of those things is because they're not sure. They don't know of anything else better to do. They are. They don't feel good down in their skin. They're bothered uh, inwardly, mentally. Therefore, they're tight physically. Therefore, they feel like they need to get back to the barn or the buddy because they think that's the only place they can get any inward comfort. So, the way you really fix all that stuff is we, as the as the humans, need to get really, really good at our clarity and our communication, the timing of our pressure and release. It's doing those things. And every interaction with a horse that we have, we should be getting him a little more sure of this, a little more sure of that, a little more sure of this, this, that, and that. And, you know, you figure you do that with every horse you are around within a couple months, you've got a horse that is really, really sure. He's sure about being saddled. He's sure about trailer loading, side passing, stopping, turning left, turning right, being saddled, being mounted, anything you can. And he is so sure about all of that. Another word for sureness is confidence. Now, we've taken this little timid horse who inwardly is real bothered and hot all the time because he just, this this world with humans and trailer loading and all this stuff, he doesn't, he's not sure about it. He doesn't really know what to do or how to handle it. He's just a mess uh, mentally. Therefore, he's a mess physically, but he's a mess mentally. So, when we can start to get our communication on key, we can start to take this inwardly timid, unsure, unconfident, scared horse and get him sure of all these things. That is the real way you fix the spookiness, the buddy sour, and all that kind of stuff. Uh, you guys probably can kind of uh, resonate with this, but I've probably ridden... I don't know, at least a thousand horses that were desensitized to everything you can think of, but you get on and they try to buck you off. No amount of desensitizing is going to say, hey, like, you know, the human is okay. You can let me be up here. You can be normal while I'm up here. The only thing that's going to help that is the human learning how to open up and make that horse feel good inwardly. So don't get caught up in thinking that, Oh, well, if my horse is spooky, he needs to get more used to the balloons and the noodles and the tarps. If your horse is spooky, he needs to get more sure about what is expected of him. Sureness brings confidence, and it's the human, our timing, our leadership that creates that. All right, now myth number three, and as we go, you guys are going to start to see that any horsey thing can circle back around to that thing we just mentioned about the human's clarity, leadership, timing. Our ability to clearly communicate our ideas to the horse and do it in such a way to where he's doing it because it was actually his idea to do it. It feels good to do it. Therefore, he wants to do it. He's happy to do it. He knows what to do. Therefore, he does it. Uh, so myth number three, bigger bits give you more control. Now, so in some cases, yes, this can be kind of true a little bit, but it's more of like a false sense of control or it's like a trade-off. So let's take, let's just take the most simple example, a horse that bolts and tries to run back to wherever 
and you pick up and you're pulling on the reins and he's just all brace up and he's just running. Nothing's working. Okay, now you can put a big old giant bit on him and then, yeah, you might be able to put so much force on that horse's mouth that it overrides how screwed up he is up here in his head. And it's going to be ugly. I mean, he's going to throw his head up in the air. And if you're not careful a bit that big on a horse like that, when you do get him stopped, he might flip over backwards on top of you. You know, there's the trade-off that we were mentioning. So in this scenario, which one is the right thing to do? Just try to contain the problem. And the problem being the horse gets real unsure and for whatever reason thinks he needs to run and back to wherever or just bolt. So is the better thing to do just put a bigger thing on to where we can control it when that happens or find out why is he thinking that he needs to do this? Why is he so unsure over here that he would go to such drastic lengths to get back over here to feel safe and comfortable? Why does he hate being out here so much and love being over here so much? Find out those reasons and then work from there work on that and then now you have instead of trying to treat the symptom of the disease which is the bolting you've treated the disease you've treated why is he doing it now you've got his mind right his mind is normal you're not going to need to have a overabundance of control on your horse anymore because you losing control of your horse nothing happens he just kind of lopes when you lope and trots when you trot. He's not wanting to be over here any more than he's wanting to be over here. He's not constantly trying to go faster than what you're wanting him to go. He's just kind of mentally and therefore physically neutral right underneath you. So a bigger bit, go, going to a bigger bit for the purposes of, oh, well, I need more control or, oh, he's heavy in this, so I need to ride my horse in this. The reason he's heavy in that is because your hands have not been operating with good enough timing. Get him light in that, and once you get that going, then maybe you go to a bigger bit, but not for the purposes of more control. But now you're going to a bigger bit for the purpose of what a bigger bit is actually meant for, for a more refined signal, not more leverage. People people all the time, they say, um, yeah, I know at your clinics you recommend we all ride in either rawhide hackamores or snaffle bits, but this horse is really heavy in a snaffle bit. And, you know, the first thing that comes into your head, well, isn't that why you're here, to make your horse light, you know? So uh, a bigger bit kind of, yes, may give you a false sense of more control, but if you need that to get more control, that means your horse is not really understanding what he needs to do in the first place if it takes that much. So putting a bigger bit on something that already does not really know what he needs to do, generally it will just make him do it worse in a bigger way. We tell people the bigger of a bit you go in, the more it's going to amplify what is already there. Uh, it will amplify the little good spots that are in your horse a little bit, and it will also amplify the little bad spots in your horse. So if your horse is bad to throw his head when he stops, a bigger bit will probably amplify that. Uh, and so on and so forth. So remember, it's not about going to a bigger bit. It's about using the correct timing to where your horse gets light and you're communicating clearly to where you do not need a bigger bit to 
have full and good, healthy, quality, mental, and physical control over your horse. Myth number four, you have to use bit A different than you use bit B. Now, um, a more clear example of this is, let's say you've always ridden your horse in some bit, and then you wanted to try riding him in like one of those braided rawhide hackamores, like, like these here on the wall. People ask all the time, hey, I would really like to ride my horse in a hackamore, but I don't know how to use it. Okay, well, you should be using the hackamore, the halter, the bit, the lifter bit, the what it, it's all, it all should be being used the same. The only thing that any type of headgear is meant for is to make it a little bit easier for the human to time when they get in the horse's way and when they get out of the horse's way. Now, we're going to give a scenario. It could be a hackamore, it could be a bit, it could be a rope around his neck or his chest, it could be anything. Let's say you want the horse to back up one step. It does not matter what you have on him. As long as you are able to get in his way when he is not kind of thinking about backing up, shifting his weight back, pick, getting ready to pick up that foot, step it back. As long as you are able to get in his way when he is not doing that, and right as he starts to kind of think, huh, maybe I'll take a step back, you get out of his way and you make it feel good for him to have that idea. You can do that with any type of headgear. Now, every single riding scenario would be that exact same way. Uh, yes, it is true. A lot of people, and they, you know, they probably make somewhat of a good point where a hackamore may be a little more of a rhythmic bumping kind of motion where a bit may be slightly different. But see, the thing is, none of that even matters as long as you're using timing and getting in his way when he's not feeling real good to you, getting out of his way when he is feeling a little bit better to you, working on that and building it from there. Uh, it does not matter what you ride your horse in. Uh, a lot of times people put something that has too much severity or too much bite on a horse that is already completely lost. So you're just kind of canceling yourself out and generally just making it worse. Uh, almost every single person that I've ever suggested, hey, you should just like ride him in a rope halter for a couple weeks. They come back and say, this is a whole different horse. He rides three times better. You, you don't use any of these different. It's all the same. You need to have timing of your hands. Your hands are what makes a horse get off his front end. It's what makes him break at his pole. It's what gets him good at backing, side passing. The only thing any kind of headgear is for is to transfer what you're doing right here down onto where the horse can feel it in some kind of way. All right, myth number five. We're going to speed up the tempo a little bit because I want to give good clarity in each one, but also want you guys to hear uh, the a few more that we have here. So myth number five, trotting back to the barn is bad. Here's the thing. If your horse is in such a mental state to where trotting him back to the barn gets him running back to the barn, then you were missing something in the first place anyway. You should be able to trot your horse back to the barn every day a hundred times and he does not get to where he wants to go to the barn even more. Myth number six, spurs and bits are cruel. Now this is kind of kind of a gray area. It depends on who's using it, as most people will tell you. Um, they can be. 
You can be cruel to a horse and nothing but a halter on his face. You can be cruel to a horse when you're using a syringe to give him his injections to keep him from getting some disease and dying. To say that spurs and bits are cruel, you would also, now bear with me here, you would also have to say that reins are cruel. Any kind of leg aid is cruel. Any kind of flag you may use for groundwork is cruel. Any kind of noise, click, smooch, or kiss that you use is cruel. Every single one of these are nothing more than a way for us to aid in communicating to this animal who frankly has no idea what we're wanting until we teach it to him. Whether you approach any one of those aids in a good way or a bad way, it's totally up to the human. But to say bits are cruel, it is simply a way of communicating with a horse. You can make it become cruel. You can also do the same thing with, uh, with having, for example, no spurs on. People say, oh, well, that person's not riding with spurs. That's cool. Okay, well, what if that person started bringing their leg just way up here to the side, coming down and slamming that horse in the belly. And then he turned or side passed really, really good or whatever. And then right as he started doing beautifully of whatever they were wanting, they slammed him in the belly again. And then he did. And then right as he was trying to do it and be light and responsive and really do the right, they slammed him in the belly again. Well, that's cruel. You know, being off in the timing like that. Generally, people confuse timing with the equipment being used. What's cruel is having bad timing to where you always have a confused horse who never knows what to do with any kind of pressure he's feeling. Whether it be a click or a soft squeeze of the calf or the word go or the word whoa, you know, any of that stuff. All right, myth number what we believe to be number seven. We lost track in between cuts. Let's call it myth number seven. Uh, myth number seven. Oh, I forgot. You have to go slow with horses. Now, this one, you see a whole lot of this in kind of the natural horsemanship circles. And you see it other places, too. What I mean is, if somebody has a, let's say they start this four-year-old horse, and the horse is like 10 years old at this point, and he still is not able to stop with any kind of real speed and kind of get his butt down in the ground, he still is not able to back up faster than, you know, two miles an hour. Then, you know, the person would say, well, yeah, we're doing all this real slow. And then one day, well, you know, another 10 years and he's going to be, you know, getting up there in age. So a lot of times people will use the excuse of, oh, yeah, well, they're horses and people it's like everybody likes to talk about how intelligent horses are, but then when they get on them, they act like these horses just are really dumb and it takes, you know, two years to get one to like lope a circle or have a half decent rollback or something like that. And uh, that's really, 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 really untrue. Uh, the only reason somebody would, uh, I, I, the story just from a few weeks ago, uh, Somebody said, yeah, I was talking to this uh, horse trainer person and they said, oh, yeah, well, you know, it takes it's going gonna, it's gonna to take at least four months to erase everything these people did and then get him ready to be re-ridden, even though this horse had been ridden for like three or four years. And um, that's just not true at all. Uh, people people have a tendency to use that as a crutch to compensate 
for the human not stepping up to the plate and working on ourselves to where we can communicate these things to these horses effectively, you would be blown away to see how fast a horse could actually pick up on something and learn something if it's presented in a way that is clear and black and white and easy to understand. They'll do, they'll do it like that. All right, myth number eight is you have to make the horse respect you. So generally when people go to talking about horses in terms of, oh, he's being disrespectful, what you'll notice is, is every time you're around somebody who's not very good with horses, they have a horse that's disrespectful. Every time you're around somebody that's really good with horses, they have horses that that person would deem, oh, that horse is being respectful. He's stopping good. He's turning. He's not buddy sour. He's attentive. Okay, here's the reality of that. It's not that the really good horse is being respectful and the really bad horse is not being respectful. The really bad horse has no earthly idea what to do because the person that taught him had no earthly idea what they were doing. And then once again, it's way easier for the human to say, oh, well, the reason he throws his head after he's had 200 rides is because he's just disrespectful. That's just him. It's so much easier for the human to just blame the horse being disrespectful than to, it's like the Taylor Swift song. You know, somebody made a joke. She should come out with a song one day called Maybe It's Me. Uh, that would be really, really good for a lot of the horse world. The people that are really good with horses and have really amazing horses, you go to talk to them and they talk about it more like, well, if he's not doing this good or doing what you might coin disrespectful, well, the reason he's not doing it good is because apparently he doesn't have a reason to do it good or he doesn't know how to do it good, uh, things like that. And then they would say, that's my fault. It's a lot more challenging and difficult for the human to take on that responsibility to where you say everything this horse does that's good is my fault and everything that he does that's bad is my fault. And then as time goes on, you start to see only good things because you're not working on your horse, you're working on yourself and you realize that every horse, no matter, you know, how good or how bad they're doing something, or if it's a mix or whatever, it is simply a byproduct of how they've been ridden, how the communication has gone, how good the human is at knowing when to use more pressure, when to use less, you know, things like that. So to just simply say, oh, well, this horse isn't lunging very good because he's disrespectful, what that really means is, is I'm not very good at getting a horse to lunge. It's a good way to, good way to put that. So those are some of the most common horse myths that are circulating right now. Uh, there's probably others out there, but we selected the ones we did because it seems that in the horse circles, these are some of the ones you hear talked about the most or you hear people uh, posting about the most and things like that. So I hope you enjoyed it and I hope you can use this and let it kind of challenge you to change the way you think about some things and the way you teach your horse or get your horse to do something or stop doing something. Hope it challenges you to experiment, try to set things up to where you can make it your horse's idea to do what you had in mind, where he wants to do it. He likes to do it. Uh, there's no resentment there because it was his idea. It's all about getting our thinking to where we, uh, we assume full responsibility and we 
come to the realization that these horses have no idea what we want. They would just assume do this as they would do that. And it's up to our communication as to whether they do this or that and how good they do this or that and how consistently they do this or that. Thanks for watching. Hope you enjoyed it. You've been listening to the Carson James Podcast. Real, simple horsemanship. Subscribe now to get new questions answered every week. If you enjoyed this week's podcast, drop us a review and share it with your horsey friends.